You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you and thank you for your mercy and grace that you've revealed to us through the person of Jesus. And we thank you that all of scripture bears witness to him. So we pray now that you would illumine the reading and preaching of your word with the power of your spirit, that we would be those who don't just hear, but respond to your word with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, last week we started a a little mini series, a three-week series called The Way of Tov. Um, And what we said was that The Way of Tov is the way that God calls his people to live, um, that we would display God's goodness to the world. And we're looking specifically at Micah chapter 6, verse 8, um, in which God says, this is the way. He says, he's shown you what is tov, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God says we can, do the, we can show God's goodness to the world by living out these ways of justice and mercy and humility. So last week we looked at justice, and today we're looking at mercy, the way of mercy. And our preacher this morning um, is my friend Amy, Amy Sherman, Dr. Amy Sherman. Um, I first met Amy when I was a student at University of Virginia, and I volunteered um, in a ministry called Abundant Life Ministry, which if you're familiar with Churchill Activities and Tutoring, uh, actually preceded CHAT, and in many ways CHAT is modeled after um, it's a community development organization that works for holistic ministry within a low-income community in, um, in uh, Charlottesville. And Amy is the founder and served as the director of that ministry for many years. Um, and I, as a student, was not only a volunteer, but was really inspired by Amy and her leadership, so much so that I ended up writing a big research paper on her and the origins of Abundant Life. And we've stayed in touch over the years, and she's written two really remarkable books that we have often drawn on at Third as we think about how to steward our vocations for God's mission in our city. So we're really grateful that Amy is here today. Um, And I'm going to read scripture from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 24, as we meditate on God's mercy. Hear God's word. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I said to the Lord, he is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. Well, it is a pleasure and a delight to be back at Third. Um, I'm a fan of you and of uh, so much that you do uh, in the community. And uh, I have been having a great time. I got to say, I just loving the music. I love the first service, love the song, love the music. Like, that's great. <clears throat> On June 19th, 2015, 
I was walking through the Atlanta airport uh, towards my gate for my flight home to Charlottesville. And I had plenty of time, so I was thinking about getting something to eat. And I saw this little sort of restaurant bar off to the left and just took a couple steps in to try to see what kind of food they served. And they had these three big uh, television screens uh, there. And one of them caught my attention because it, it appeared as though there was some kind of courtroom scene that was happening there. I saw uh, a group of well-dressed African-American men and women kind of sitting together in one little area. And then there was the, the judge up there with his robe on and everything. And then off to the other side, <clears throat> uh, there was a large monitor. And on the monitor, there was a young uh, white man in a blue and white striped prison uh, jumpsuit. And uh, after I looked in again, I recognized uh, that he was Dylan Roof, the white supremacist who just a few days earlier had walked into a Bible study at uh, Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a few days earlier, and had murdered nine people. What was being televised was his initial bond hearing, and the magistrate had invited the relatives of victims uh, of that horrendous crime to the bond hearing so that they could address comments uh, to Dylan Roof. And I stood there just mesmerized by the screen because... Nadine Collier, whose 70-year-old mother had been killed by Dylan Roof, stood up and looked towards the monitor and said, I forgive you. You took something very, very precious from me. I won't talk to her again. I won't hold her again. But I forgive you. God have mercy on your soul. And then Anthony Thompson stood up, the husband of the slain Myra Thompson, and he looked at the screen and he said, I forgive you. We'd like for you to take this opportunity to repent, to repent, confess, and give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so that he can change your life. And one after another stood up and spoke similar words. Beth Ann Middleton Brown, the sister of of one of the victims, looked at that TV screen and said she was very angry and she was a, a work in progress. And she said, quote, but we are a family built on love and we have no room for hate. So we have to forgive. One after another, these Black Christian brothers and sisters extended mercy to a cold-blooded killer who had stolen their mother, their wife, their sister, their son, their granddad. And I just stood there sort of stock still, all these people, you know, coming along the corridor behind me because I was just spellbound because it was like this miracle was unfolding right in in front of me as these people who loved Jesus stood there and did this radically amazing thing of extending mercy 
to a killer. And I wanted to begin that, begin with that story this morning because of this little sermon series that you're in on Micah 6.8. I've been asked to talk about loving mercy. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And, and as we consider that passage, I just want to take up three questions together. The first one is, what is so astonishing about mercy? Now, the second one is, how do we become people who love mercy? And what does it look like to live out loving mercy in this city? And that first question, what's astonishing about mercy, you know, relates to the story that I just told because I was astonished. I stood there mesmerized as this miracle unfolded. And, and, and it's astonishing because it's so unexpected, right? Um, mercy is about extending grace to people who do not deserve it. So mercy is, is frankly very strange, <laughs> And it feels kind of unnatural. I mean, we fallen human beings are not naturally merciful. Maybe some of you great Christians here at, at, at Third are naturally merciful. I am not. When some crazy driver cuts me off on the highway, uh, what spontaneously emerges from between my lips are not usually words of mercy. They are other kinds of, of words. Uh, we are not naturally mercy givers. And when we consider more serious things, um, hearing about war crimes in, in Ukraine, or maybe there's a, a report about an elderly person having been abused at a, a nursing home, and, and, and righteous indignation just sort of, you know, pops up with, within us and, and, and sort of spews out. There's, there's a way in which we're kind of like toasters. It's like we just have this natural just boom. It just, it just kind of runs out when we, when we hear about evil. You know, our, our blood boils and our, our fists clench. Um, and, and some of that's understandable. And, and some of that, frankly, I think is, is good and right. Uh, God is a God of righteous indignation because he is a God of justice and he hates abuse and he hates murder and he hates these things. <clears throat> but, but we are these, these toasters who just pop up. Sometimes it's righteous anger. Plenty of times it's not righteous anger. And so when we find that someone who has been abused or hurt is able to respond with mercy. It's just astonishing. It's just astonishing to us. Now, before I go any further, uh, I need to make two quick statements about mercy that are just really important to say in a group of this size, because in any gathering like this, there are going to be some of you sitting here who yourselves have been victims of very grave injustices and abuses and wounds. And so I just want to say two true statements to you to, that I don't have time to elaborate on, <laughs> but that need to be said. And the first is that as we talk about mercy today, in no way am I suggesting that mercy means, that loving mercy means abandoning or disregarding justice. Okay? And secondly, that mercy is not the same thing as reconciliation. Reconciliation is a long, long journey um, that is sometimes possible and is sometimes not possible. 
with the one who has harmed you. So, again, I don't have time to elaborate on, on these things, um, but uh, if you are someone here who needs that elaboration, needs to understand how do I hold these mercy and justice together, there are, there are wise and warm people here at Third that can help you do that. But, but my job, my task, was to talk specifically about loving mercy. So we're talking about how astonishing it is. Uh, and it's astonishing when, when Nadine Collier stands up and says, you took that from me which was most precious to me. And also says, God have mercy on you, I forgive you. It's just, it's, it's overwhelming. And we recognize that it's, it's so astonishing because we realize the sacrifice that it requires if you unjustly harm me and I respond to you with mercy, it's because I have had to lay down some of my pride. I've had to lay down my rights. I have had to lay down my understandable and justifiable indignation and treat you not as you deserve to be treated, but to extend grace to you despite your lack of dessert. So obviously, showing mercy is really, really, really hard. So how in the world, second question, do we become people who love mercy? <clears throat> well, I want to suggest a simple little statement. Showing mercy requires knowing mercy. And indeed, knowing mercy leads to loving mercy. What do I mean by all of that? Well, we have to ourselves experience the receiving of mercy in order to be able truly to know it and to show it. And what I want to say is reminding all of us that we have, in fact, experienced great mercy ourselves. In fact, we've experienced much more mercy than we will ever really be able to acknowledge. Now, why can I say that with great confidence? Um, simply because it's what the scriptures tell me. Scripture says that God's mercies are new every morning. Scripture says that God sends rain on the just and the unjust. Scripture says that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. We, we become people who can show mercy when we know that we have received mercy. And that requires humility. I think that's why Micah 6.8 twines these three things together, love and mercy and walking humbly. It's because walking humbly is what puts you in the posture to be able to receive mercy and to trust in God's ultimate and perfect justice. That justice will be done, even as we extend mercy. So I just want us to linger for a few moments on this very, very well-known phrase. We've already um, said it, and later we're going to sing it. And that well-known phrase is, God's mercies are new every morning. Let's linger on that for a minute. Think first about every morning. How many mornings have there been since sin entered the world? 
I don't know, but probably millions. Every day, human beings live in God's creation and commit an uncountable number of offenses against him. Every day, human beings grieve the God of love by abusing and killing other image bearers. Every day, humans return indifference for God's providential care. Every day, human beings fail or refuse to acknowledge that God is the author of every good gift we've ever received. And every day, human beings who are finite and whose lifespans are a vapor turn and in arrogance say to the infinite and eternal God, I know better than you. I have put you on trial, God, and I find you wanting. Every day, human beings reject God, betray God, grieve God, falsely accuse God, berate God, disobey God, belittle God, abandon God, malign God, And how does God respond? He sends us fresh mercy every new day. He chooses once again, and then again, and then again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again, day after day, not to respond to our indifference and our arrogance and our hostility and our ingratitude, with harm, but with mercy and kindness. (laughs) Oh, friends, we need to just marvel at the faithfulness of God, marvel at the kindness of God, marvel and fall down on our faces, recognizing in amazed awe the extent of the mercy we have received and the mercy that is part of God's own constitution. I think that's the foundational first step in loving mercy, is that we have to recognize the mercy that God has shown us. That's step one. And in fact, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, it's not just step one, it's actually step one, step two, step three, step four. It's like the same step over and over and over again. Because I think that as we reflect over and again on the mercy that we have received, over time, the Holy Spirit is able to use our affirmation of that truth, our humility in accepting that truth, and our gratitude for that truth as the ingredients to to get into that toaster and start rewiring it in such a way that we actually begin to change into people who become more merciful. So we've said that mercy is astonishing because it's so unexpected and and almost downright supernatural. We've said that in order to become people who show mercy, we need to be people who know mercy. And I said my third question for today was going to be, how do we express this mercy here in our community? And I thought that third question was an important one to take up this weekend uh, because you've been in this uh, local missions conference uh, this, this weekend. And uh, so I know that, third, one of the things I love about you is that you are so involved in the city uh, of Richmond, and it's a beautiful thing. And I, and I know also that here at Third, you're very familiar uh, with the story, uh, the background of Jeremiah 29, uh, where God commands the exiles in the city of Babylon to seek, uh, to pray for and to seek the peace and prosperity 
the shalom of Babylon in, in Jeremiah 29.7. It's a verse I know you're familiar with. Um, but I just want to take a moment uh, to just review the context of that with you. So God has called his people to seek the shalom of this city of ba- Babylon, this foreign city. The, the, the Babylonians went into Israel, forcibly uh, assaulted their way, violently grabbed Israelites from their homes, stripped them of their land and their livelihoods, carried them off to a foreign city where they didn't know the language or the traditions Pretty easy to understand that the Israelites felt mistreated, (laughs) right? Uh, And pretty easy to imagine that the Babylonians, as they looked at these Israelites that were now living in their city, pretty easy to imagine that the Babylonians probably looked down at them, probably discriminated against them, probably saw them as inferior after all they had defeated them in, in battle. It's it's just not hard to imagine the average Babylonian sort of looking askance at the average Israelite, disrespecting them, thinking they're a nuisance, belittling them, scorning them, being hostile to them. And it's frankly not that hard to imagine the average Israelite looking at the average Babylonian and seeing an enemy, seeing the face of of the people who ripped them out of their land. They probably looked at the Babylonians and thought, I don't like you very much. (laughs) I think your culture is ugly, and I think your beliefs are wrong and rude and offensive and against the ways of God. This is the context into which God speaks, Jeremiah 29.7. I want you to seek, I want you to pray for and seek the peace and prosperity of these people and this place. And I think when we think about that context, it's pretty easy to say that essentially what God was asking the people of Israel to do was to love mercy. It was a mission of mercy. The Babylonians didn't deserve for the Israelites to pray for them. The Babylonians didn't deserve for the Israelites to sacrificially labor on behalf of the good of their city to bring about more peace and prosperity uh, to the city. And so Jeremiah 29.7 is about God calling his people to be agents of flourishing in Babylon, making it a better place for all. And it was, a, it was a mission of love, and it was a mission of mercy. I think our situation today feels somewhat analogous to that of the Israelites in Babylon. Uh, We who proclaim the lordship of Jesus can feel here in our postmodern culture like we're surrounded by pagans. We feel like as though our beliefs and our practices are incomprehensible to some of our neighbors. Or feel like our neighbors disdain us, they mock our values, they ridicule our lifestyles. Now, (laughs) I deliberately said our situation was somewhat analogous All right, because let's just be real here, okay? We have not been ripped out of our homeland. We have not been forcibly kidnapped and sent to a a foreign land, okay? What the Israelites suffered is much greater than what we suffer. And yet the sense of cultural exile is, in fact, confusing 
it is scary, it is hard, it is distressing, it is disorienting. At times it feels depressing. It's a, it's a reality. But I believe that God says to us, just like he said to the Israelites centuries ago, seek the peace and prosperity of your neighbors. Pray for them, pray for and work for the flourishing of this place. Show mercy. And we show ourselves to be people of mercy when we, when we labor for the good of our unbelieving neighbors, when we seek the flourishing of people who at some level maybe we don't think deserve our labors or ridicule our motivations. But, but when we show ourselves in this way to be lovers of mercy, laboring for the good of our unbelieving neighbors, what we're doing is, is actually living out the crazy words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he says that when we do that kind of work, we show ourselves to be the genuine children of our Father in heaven who sends rain on the just and the unjust. In a word, our labor is a profound witness. It's a profound witness to the goodness of God, the compassion of God, and the mercy of God. And I'm grateful for the many ways that Third has, in fact, um, sought the shalom of the city of Richmond. And I just urge you to continue on that course. Whenever a church like yours works for excellence and equity in the school system, that is a, that's a wonderful mission of love and mercy. When the, when the church works for affordable housing uh, for all, that is a wonderful mercy of uh, mission of mercy and compassion. When the, when the churches work to reform the criminal justice system so that it more closely aligns with God's heart for restorative justice, that's a, that's a way of loving and showing mercy. When our churches strengthen families and create childcare options for single moms and, and construct green spaces uh, in the places in the city that, that, that lack those and run job training classes for the unemployed and, and make loans to inner city entrepreneurs. When we do all that stuff, much of which is stuff that you guys do or support, it is beautiful and it is witnessing to the mercy of God. You see, the great temptation when you are in exile, which I believe at some degree we are, is to retreat, is to, is to hunker down and, and to, to fortress. The, the great temptation in, in exile is to withdraw and, and say, that ugly, crazy, pagan world is going to hell in a handbasket and I want nothing to do with it. But our God is the God of Micah 6, 8 and the God of Jeremiah 29.7, and withdrawal just isn't an option. He calls us to sacrificial service. He calls us into this mission of mercy to bring more and more shalom into this place for the benefit of all, including the very people who do not get us, who do not like us, who do not believe as we believe, and who are engaged in all kinds of behaviors that we find incomprehensible or offensive. And I think that the writing's on the wall. We will only increasingly feel our cultural exile. 
we will only increasingly find ourselves in communities that are increasingly suspicious of us, of our faith, and hostile to us. And when in the supernatural power of Christ, we are able to relate to all of our neighbors in love rather than fear and offer hospitality rather than hostility, we profoundly witness to the mercy of God. We show people what God is like. We maintain faithfulness to our own biblical distinctives and yet lay down our lives for all our neighbors, including the ones who reject and mock those very convictions. When we do that, folks, it's pretty astonishing. I think it may, in fact, be the most powerful form of witness that we can have in our time of exile. Amen.